Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gotta tell you about the relief and recovery creams from Escape Artists. It's the highest awarded topical brand in Colorado that prioritizes quality and consistency. It's made by Escape Artists. And they produce these creams to help penetrate for deep muscle tissue discomfort that's fast absorbing and is not greasy. It's not going to stain your clothes or sheets. Best part about them is you can find them at your local light shade dispensary. There's 10 in the Denver metro area, soon to be 11. And their premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flower, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more are now allowing you, podcast listeners, to get 25% off all non-sale items with code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you and mention code DNVR for that 25% off discount. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you as always by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava CBD coffee is going to improve the quality of your morning since it's rich in CBD and CBG and can be delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, or eight weeks, however frequently you need it. Their CBD infused coffee has got me feeling fantastic since it can help with chronic headaches, joint pains, even IBS folks. That's true. It can help with that so much more. And you get zero coffee jitters if you happen to want multiple cups a day, which is usually my style, as you know. And now you can get 25% off your first purchase when you use code DNVR25 at StravaCraftCoffee.com. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons. And on today's DNVR Rockies podcast, we celebrate day 35 of the lockout. Well, I don't know that we're actually celebrating, but we are going to acknowledge a couple news and notes that have come out over the last week or so. It's obviously very slow with the holidays and the new year and discussion about real discussion going on after the first of the year. It's 2022. Can you believe it? We are in the future minus the flying cars. We'll also get to the news of Fanatics purchasing everyone's favorite baseball card company, Tops. Yes, they are the only baseball card producers right now or were up to this point after one of their last negotiations that really shut down a lot of other baseball card companies in the way they had previously been doing business. But I do want to talk about a couple of news and notes in and around the game of baseball, particularly as it pertains to our Colorado Rockies. Despite the lockout preventing teams from making transactions whether that be signing major league free agents or making trades. We do know that there's been much more of a magnifying lens up against all 30 teams. And it becomes apparent that there's going to be certain trends that certain teams are going to be more interested than others in reducing some payroll. And two of those teams that it has come to light has been Oakland, which we knew for some time that the athletics were really looking to make some moves. They've got three Really quality starting pitchers in Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, Frankie Montez, really with one to two years left of control. And when you are up against a player 
and his free agency, and you know that you're not going to sign him and bring him back or extend him that or give him that extension, it really behooves you if you're a small to mid-market team to try to get something for that player. That is, unless you are going all in to try to win one last championship. The Chicago Cubs did that a bit in the 2021 season. Granted, they did trade away you Darvish going into the season, which was not a real great note to start on, but they had all of these players that were going to be free agents, and it was a group that had already won a World Series. They had already won a championship, and you knew that if things went in the right direction, they could do it one more time. Let's have one last run at this thing, and you know what? It didn't happen for them before the trade deadline, so they unloaded to put their franchise in a much better situation. It's what Oakland is looking to do right now because they don't have the guys right now to win a World Series in 2022. That's one of the reasons why they've been able to keep themselves in business and have a very competitive record year in and year out, despite the fact that they've been needing to trade away some of their better players time and time again. Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, two players that are also expecting to be on the trading block. In fact, there's been rumors that the Yankees are considering moving Matt Chapman off of third base over to shortstop, kind of similar to those conversations about the Rockies moving Ryan McMahon from third base over to shortstop should they not be able to bring in a replacement for Trevor Story. The Washington Nationals are another team that might surprise you considering that they had won the World Series in 2019. They didn't re-sign Bryce Harper. And Juan Soto is on a very affordable contract. And so you would think they would still have plenty of money to spend, especially with Max Scherzer coming off the books and his trade to the Dodgers. But no, they are actually still paying Max Scherzer because he had a lot of that contract backloaded beyond his seven years that he was actually going to be with the National Steven Strasburg's contract has been somewhat of an albatross. They did sign Patrick Corbin to that big $100-plus million deal, and so they don't quite have the money you would think a team in a larger market like the nation's capital would have. And so that is another team you could possibly kick the tires on. And really, this is an exercise for all of us to go look at those rosters, take a look, see who might be a good fit for the Rockies. Obviously, you're going to target an outfielder with a year or two of control, hopefully at least two years of control. We know the Rockies have to give in order to get, but there could be some diamonds in the rough on other rosters. Same is true for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, in a different fashion than Oakland and Washington, the Brewers are not looking to reduce payroll and to really take a step backwards in the standings. Not tanking, but rebuilding, recognizing you don't have what you need to be successful, so let's try to give you a better shot and increase the odds in future seasons. Well, in the Brewers' case, they have got a top three in their rotation that has been incredible. They are very affordable because they're only now approaching arbitration, and they've been really successful besides just those top three guys of, of course, the NL Cy Young Award winner in 2021, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. You saw all three of those guys at the All-Star Game here in Denver, but their fourth and fifth starters, in fact, their number six starter, was even incredibly successful 
this year when they decided to stretch out their rotation to a six-man rotation. Adrian Hauser, Eric Lauer, the left-hander, you may remember him from his days with the Padres, and Aaron Ashby, three guys that would fit in incredibly well in the Rockies' number five spot. You might even make the case that Adrian Hauser would be more of a number four type starter. It doesn't matter the order that you would go in for the Rockies rotation. All three of these guys would be really interesting to see at Coors Field. Maybe Lauer a bit less so, since we know his record at Coors Field, and we know his reputation has not been great, but he's really figured out a couple things in the last season or two and, and really took a step forward with Milwaukee this past season. Should also mention, we know the Rockies are still looking to add one significant bat. Again, nothing can happen right now. Teams could theoretically talk to one another behind the scenes. They just couldn't announce a trade, and they really couldn't let those rumors even get out in the least bit. They could not do that. So we don't really know what Bill Schmidt and anyone's working on, or even suggest that they may be working on something. But on the other side of the spectrum, from your Oakland and your Washington, you've got Boston and Seattle looking to add some more payroll, which is not necessarily great news for the Rockies. As we saw what a team like Texas did, sure. They showed the bag to guys like Marcus Stroman and Corey Seager, but they also got more affordable, quote-unquote, affordable players like John Gray for four years and $56 million, and even a guy like Cole Calhoun for their outfield. So even if Boston and Seattle go after one of the bigger-name players still remaining on the free agent market, Corey Seager, Freddie Freeman, Nicholas Castellano, Trevor Story, they still could afford one of those lower contract guys. They could afford two $100 million players. Boston and Seattle have both been linked to Story somewhat. In both of those instances, Story would probably go over to third base. With Boston, they've got Xander Bogarts under contract for a few more years, but he does have a player opt-out after the 2022 season. So they may even get ahead of that and trade him, and you could see Story at Fenway Park 81 times a year as their shortstop. Or Story could go over to third base, and Rafael Devers would probably do much better defensively over at second base. Same with Seattle. Story would probably play third base with the retirement of Kyle Seeger, Adam Frazier just coming over in that Padres trade, making that Mariners infielder a lot more lethal. And we know Story would be going to a winner in both of those instances since that is something he said he wanted going into this offseason. One thing that is somewhat promising, and you may need to go back to listen to our episode last week with Andrew Mason. He mentioned that Atlanta doesn't typically like to spend big contracts, even on their own guys. And with Freddie Freeman still being out there, there is this scenario in which a team like Boston or Seattle could go out, less so with Seattle, as they did lock up Evan White to a long-term deal, very affordable one. And so I don't think that would really take them out of the Freddie Freeman market. But nevertheless, if one of those larger market teams spends on a Freddie Freeman instead of Atlanta, well, now there's going to be a trickle-down effect, and some of those players in the lower price range, of course, could then slip to the Rockies. we got to remind you, whether you're a member or otherwise, we've got our final tailgate 
of the season on Saturday, not Sunday as originally scheduled, but on Saturday, January 8th against the Chiefs. The game's at 2.30. I think we'll have our typical setup at 10 a.m. If you want to go down to the bar, you can leave your car there, not have to worry about parking or surge pricing with Uber. The shuttle will take you over to the stadium where you can have all you can eat sexy pizza, all you can drink Breckenridge Brewery. And guess what? If you do want to carpool with somebody, that's quite all right because you could just get a ticket for the tailgate at dnvrlocker.com and get your ticket there. Whether you're a member or otherwise, members, you do know that you get a discount at the tailgate, just like you get a bigger beer when you're on the corner of Colfax and York at the DNVR bar. Make sure you're swinging through for all of our watch parties. Rams basketball, Nuggets, Avalanche are back now. Everyone's out of that COVID protocol. We got drink specials, appetizer discounts from 3 to 6 p.m. each and every day. 50 cents for your first month if you want to subscribe to the DNVR.com with coverage for all the four major sports we've got here in Denver, along with CU Buffs, CSU Rams, as well as Colorado Raptors Rugby. Give us that opportunity, much like you should give the opportunity to Breckenridge Brewery, our official beer of the DNVR bar. Make sure you give them an opportunity in your refrigerator at home, whether that's a 15-can sampler of their good company hard seltzer, or right now really is the time of year to tap into that avalanche Ale, that classic American amber blend. It's got the pale chocolate caramel malts. It's a well-rounded, flavorful beer. The caramel malts in particular lend a toffee sweetness with a touch of bittering hops to give this beer a super clean finish. It's crafted for balance, and the Avalanche is a versatile and satisfying anytime beer. Get that anywhere you get your alcohol. King Supers, Costco, just about anywhere. Now, what is that sexy pizza I was referencing at our tailgate? Well, they're a local Denver-based pizzeria. It's been around for 13 years. They're as local as you can get. They got hand-tossed deck oven pizza with made-from-scratch each morning dough. They're even donating money for various charities around the state of Colorado. Check that out. If you go to their donations link on www.sexy.pizza, you can actually find out how Sexy Pizza can support your cause. Stop by any of their four locations in Denver, Capitol Hill, Old South Pearl, Jefferson Park, and Park Hill. And now that new location in Trinidad, Colorado, it's here. It is officially open. So if you make the trek down to Santa Fe, Albuquerque, New Mexico, wherever it may be, make sure you stop off at Trinidad. Show some love to Sexy Pizza. A couple of news and notes in and around the game of baseball. You may have seen Tyler Chatwood. Thought he was a good candidate to come back to the Rockies. Could have been great in the bullpen, maybe even as a long reliever. Could he contend for a number five spot in the rotation? Alas, no, he's going over for some guaranteed money over an NPB, the Nippon Professional Baseball of Japan. He'll be playing for the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks in his age 32 season. Actually joins a shortstop that could have been a good fit for the Rockies as well, and Freddie Galvis, as well as uh, another name that used to be somewhat notable with the Padres, Colin Ray. He also will be on the SoftBank Hawks for the 2022 season. Cameron Maben also announced his retirement. He played in 15 major league seasons, suited up for 10 different teams, 34 years old, stepping aside. It's crazy to think at 34, you're kind of washed up, right? And I, I don't say that in a negative way. Just look, his playing career is over. He recognized it, but he also wants to stay within the game of baseball. And he's actually going to be joining the Players Alliance to 
quote in his words in a press release, help provide access and opportunity for the next generation of black ball players. I bring up Cameron Mabin in particular because he's gotten some love on the podcast and from some Rockies fans who have known him and, and, and have gotten to meet him, especially because he's from Asheville, North Carolina. He's a kid who grew up a fan of the Asheville tourists. I think he was even a bat boy for a period of time when he was a kid. He's always loved the game for as long as he can remember. And so tip of the cap to Cameron Mabin. Best of luck in retirement. Now, that big story about Fanatics buying tops for a reported $500 million. And that's thanks in part due to, well, frankly, baseball cards and sports cards collecting blowing up over the past two years. There's another episode you need to go and check out from two weeks ago with Jason Keene, owner of Grand Slam Sports Cards and Comics, breaking down where all this added interest is coming from why cards are so expensive, which cards are so expensive, particularly in the Rockies world. Got to mention Zach Veen's Superfractor rookie card, one of one, was recently sold for just under $2,000 on eBay over the past month. So things are really blowing up. Keep in mind, MLB and the Players Association are equity holders of Fanatics now. And so when they got that deal, that was directly connected to the fact that the players, the owners, were going to make out a little bit better with that. Fanatics also has deals with the NBA and the NFL. The NHL, though, is currently controlled and under contract with Upper Deck. We'll see what happens if Fanatics could get the Superfecta and get all four of the major sports. Perhaps Fanatics even taps into the Panini market, a team that lost the NFL and the NBA rights in the past year or two. Panini makes a lot more soccer cards around the world. So does Tops, but Panini is more of a worldwide brand on a much larger scale. And so we'll see what Fanatics does moving forward. Their current valuation is now at $10.4 billion. They don't just make t-shirts and hoodies. Oh no, they are going to be doing baseball cards now too with this purchase of Tops. Now, they did announce that all 350 global employees from Tops will be keeping their job, at least so far. And one of the most interesting wrinkles in this is Fanatics didn't buy all of Tops. They just bought the sports and entertainment business part of the company. So that candy business side of Tops, Bazooka Bubblegum, Ring Pops, etc., is actually going to still be owned by the same folks. But let's face it, we, we're not here for talk of candy, right? We want to know about sports cards, baseball cards, what's going on. Tops just celebrated their 70th anniversary. And it's really great to know that the brand that we all grew up on is going to stay there going forward, at least in name alone. And again, the people that help create the cards, those visionaries, those people that know how to do things on the business side, the aesthetic side, they're going to be keeping their job. And so really, while Tops may have a new parent company, everything should be exactly the same as you see it. You'll still be able to pick up your cards in Target, Walmart, all that stuff. None of that should be changing going forward. It's not going to be this major money grab to really try to take advantage of customers and, and regular folks like you and I, but it will be something that should help streamline and, and get a little bit more revenue to the owners and to the players, which might be a little bit better especially as we start talking about the lockout and 
how the money does break down and how we are going to get both of these sides to be on the same page. One final piece of note, Ken Rosenthal is out at the MLB Network. You may have seen that on Monday. Shocking news, but at the same time, Ken Rosenthal still employed by The Athletic. I don't know if this is going to really hurt his pocketbook all that much, but it is interesting because MLB Network and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM, I consume actually a lot more radio than I do on the television side, and they've always claimed, I've always purported that they don't get any emails and get any notes from Major League Baseball to say this or don't say that. I'm sure they may get some suggestions about what they shouldn't be saying, and they know what side their bread is buttered, and they know maybe not to make trouble for here and there. But it does go to show you that Ken Rosenthal, true journalist, he does want the real getting out there. He's unbiased, and that, you know what, frankly, if the commissioner doesn't like somebody on MLB Network or MLB Network Radio, they're going to be out. And I think that is a real interesting swerve there by Mr. Manfred, and it's a big power move. I think in a roundabout way, it is letting the players know that he and the MLB owners mean business, and they don't care how they look publicly. They don't care about optics. Now, getting rid of Ken Rosenthal or keeping him out of MLB Network doesn't necessarily save the network a lot of money, and who knows, he may have gotten some kind of package deal that bought him out of his contract. It's not about money. Again, it's about the optics of what we say. We're a bit ruthless right now. We are going to do what we got to do, and we don't care how it looks. And the players are very much aware of this. And this is another interesting wrinkle in the lockout that we're dealing with. And if you need to get that smile back of yours, well, I suggest you check out the folks down at Green Mountain Dental Group especially since they deserve to take some credit for all those Colorado sports fans around town, especially our DNVR listeners who've switched to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years to make them their permanent family dentist. They're the best damn family-owned dentistry in the metro area. And guess what? They're extreme Colorado sports fans like all of us. If you schedule your cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you're going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group located only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. We hit the final week of the pro football regular season and the college football season, and we're heading to the national championship with that bad boy. You know where my pick is. Take that over on 25 and a half points on the first half. DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to get all fans in on the action for this exciting time on the football calendar. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Simple as that. Don't miss out on this action especially since DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get NFL action with same-game parlays. Check this out. You combine multiple bets from the same game, and you get an even bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable, and best of all, you can deposit, withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR because new customers can bet just $5 on any football team, college or pro, to win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Now it's time to get down to the elephant in the room. 
day 35 of the lockout, and we have still yet to schedule the next bargaining session between Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association. Of course, they are going to talk at some point this year, at some point in the month of January, I imagine. They probably should do that. We know when there's no deadline, hey, you're going to be a little willy-nilly about some things. But these two parties need to get into the room as soon as possible to work these things out. And for anyone suggesting, well, couldn't they just extend the current CBA and negotiate at some point during the season, have spring training like normal, continue to have conversations, et cetera, et cetera. Well, two things happen because of that. A, there's now no deadline. When, when are you going to make that work? And two, that now puts the power in the player's corner and could allow them to strike. That's what we saw in 1994 was this similar situation. So the owners would be giving away all of their leverage to have something like that. They would be making money in the short term, but they could end up losing a lot more money in the long term. In fact, that's exactly what you saw in 1994. There was no postseason. There was no World Series for the first time ever. So you will almost certainly never see something like that ever happen again in MLB, maybe in another sport. They don't have those same lessons to learn from especially if the two sides aren't as far apart as the players and the owners have been in the past. But you're not going to see any come-to-Jesus moment of, you know what, actually, here's the solution. It's kind of smack dab in the middle. It's not extreme one way or the other. We'll just kind of renegotiate during the course of the season. That's not going to happen. If you follow any of the work by Evan Drillich of The Athletic, he seems to think that March 1st is that deadline, is the time in which you really have to start thinking, you know what, we may miss the start of opening day if we don't get this deal done on March 1st. We've talked about it on this podcast as February 1st being that date, and to a degree it is. February 1st is the date you really need to get something going in order to ensure that spring training is going to happen as it's supposed to on time in the middle of February. You've got to be close on February 1st, or even, you can even say a week after that. You've got to be incredibly close because, look, if pitchers and catchers are going to report on the 13th, 14th, 15th, whatever it might be this year, as long as that deal's done by the 12th, it's going to be all good. Now, sure, a couple guys might be getting in a little bit late. Certainly some of the veterans will be taking advantage of those couple extra days. But nevertheless, February 1st is that deadline for what we consider to be normal to actually come to fruition. But if we're going to have somewhat of a modified spring training, you've got to get a deal done by March 1st. The reason why spring training is six weeks is not for all players. It is true for about half the players, really, or at least half of the game itself. And that's for pitchers. Pitchers need six weeks to be ready for the six months of the season. You saw them get ready for a 60-game season in just two weeks. They did also just come off of spring training, somewhat normal spring training that you know probably got cut in half there on March 13th. But if you're going to have a normal six-month season, those pitchers, man, they're going to need they're going to need four weeks. 
at minimum, maybe three weeks, and you expand the rosters, there's a very good chance that we have expanded rosters for maybe just the first half of the season. That does end up costing the owners more, right? Because that's another minimum contract on the books. It's going to be probably a couple more minimum contracts to just keep a couple extra arms on the now 26 or 30 man roster. That's what we did see in 1995 when they had their delayed start after their work stoppage in the 94, 95 lockout. And with the minimum salary expected to increase to probably close to a million, I think it's going to be close to a million. I think it should be a million might be just under that. We'll see what happens with the league minimum, but those salaries are going to be about a million dollars. And so if you expand two to four more roster spots, which again are going to be for pitchers, well, you know, if that's for the entirety of the season, that's an extra $4 million each team has to pay. And those owners, they do not like paying an extra $4 million if they don't have to. If it's half the season, okay, maybe it's only $2 million. But March 1st is that deadline. Drellich also says he's going to guess that the season starts on time. It's at about an 85% chance. There's about an 85% chance it starts on time. I have moved back my agreement date. When, when will MLB make that official press release saying the two sides have formally agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement? When will that day be? For me right now, I have selected March 14th. It's a Monday. You'll hear the rumblings on Saturday or Sunday, Monday, boom, everybody goes back to work. What does that mean for opening day? I do not know. But I imagine the owners have a plan in place to figure it out. And the players will just have to adapt to that. But I've got March 14th as my day. And guess what? I, I said it last year too. I said it during 2020 as well. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. We'll see what happens. One thing that the owners can do to have a bit of leverage is not to have replacement players. That's not going to work. We know that that's not going to work. They tried that in 1995. In fact, if you know your Rockies history pretty well, and if, if you've been a hardcore listener to DNVR Rockies, which I know there's a ton of you out there that are, I see the numbers, you know that the first game ever at Coors Field in 1995 that first game was not April 26th, 1995. It was not the walk-off extra inning home run by Dante Bichette. No. No, that's the first regular season game at Coors Field. There were two exhibition games that took place against the Yankees, and not the Yankees, but a group of replacement players wearing pinstripes and pretending as if they were the Yankees. And there was a team of... Colorado Rockies pretending to be Colorado Rockies. It was an exhibition game. It was what was supposed to happen to get Coors Field up and running to make sure the lines were moving really well. Everything, everyone knew where they needed to be as far as as far as the stadium workers were concerned. And it was a nice little cash grab too, bring the Yankees into town for two games before the regular season. That's some good money right there. As it were, there was no CBA in place. The owners locked out the players. They wanted to have replacement players there, and that's what they did have on, I want to say it was March 31st and April 1st of 1995. 
the actual first game at Coors Field. While I don't think that's going to happen again, a nice piece of leverage, and believe me, I, I'm not rooting for the owners here, but they do have some leverage in the sense that they can still have somewhat of a semblance of spring training. Now, by that I mean they might not have to cancel games necessarily because minor leaguers who are not a part of the 40-man roster and are not a part of the Players Association, they can actually start on time. They can actually associate with the coaches, with trainers. They can associate with the teams. You probably even saw a month or so ago, right after the lockout, hey, there's a couple of Rockies ballplayers training at Coors Field. Well, they were... Colorado kids that live in Colorado during the offseason, born and raised, born and bred, and they were minor league players. They weren't on the 40-man, so they are able to go to Coors Field and work out. That's a great opportunity. Those guys should do that. All minor leaguers should be doing that. There's there's no nothing wrong with them doing what they need to do to continue their career. They are not associated with the CBA. They are not involved in this lockout. Don't, don't twist my words. Hopefully you're not doing that. But minor leaguers can still go to spring training. And so that could be an interesting workaround for the owners and for the teams to continue to go forward with the games. And look, hey, if you're down in Arizona, if maybe you're not paying attention, you're like, I think there's a lockout. But the Diamondbacks and Rockies are playing a game at Salt River Fields today. It's the first one of spring training. I, they're selling tickets. I, I, I think it's baseball. And you know what? Even if you do know what's going on, you still might show up to the ballpark because you want to see a baseball game with a bunch of professionals, even if it may only be double-A quality. So that's an interesting wrinkle in all of this. I do want to point you out to a recent episode of the Chris Rose Rotation Podcast on our buddy John Boy Media's network. Got to give all those guys a shout-out for all the great work they're doing. Loved having them down at the bar during the all-star break and, and all the different connections we've had with them over the years. But on that podcast, you had a couple of representatives from the Players Association, Lucas Giolito being one, Marcus Simeon being on that. And he point blank said, January is a huge month. January is a very important month for laying the groundwork for getting this deal done. So even if the deadline is truly March 1st, maybe, maybe it is, but you know what? You got to start having these conversations now. Max Scherzer spoke with the Los Angeles Times, said some interesting things. He said, quote, we feel as players that too many teams have gone into a season without an intent to win during this past CBA. Even though that can be a strategy to win in future years, we've seen both small market and large market clubs embrace tanking, and that cannot be the optimal strategy for the owners. Well, this is fixable. This this certainly is a fixable scenario. I've been trying to work on my own change to the MLB draft and a system that would work, that would certainly deter tanking. Keep in mind, if you look at the Pittsburgh Pirates record over the last decade since their last postseason appearance in 2013 with Clint Hurdle at the helm, there were a couple of years in there where they were still trying. There were years where the Rockies were still trying in 2012 through 2015, and they still managed to lose an average of 94 games. Some teams can be just bad. Some teams can just be poorly run 
for a few years. What has to be prevented is the incentive to lose. You don't need to incentivize winning. There, there's already enough incentive there, but you really want to discourage losing. And th this, I don't think, is going to be a very difficult thing to work out. I think it's very plausible that the players will get what they want. However, MLB, if they were to acquiesce to certain changes, MLBPA, right, the Players Union, the Players Association, would actually have to give up something. And what they give up, well, will it be more of a benefit than keeping the current system or making smaller tweaks? Will that be better? We're going to have to see. That, that's all a part of these negotiations. Scherzer also said, another thing that's that was quite interesting I, I, I wanted to discuss was, quote, the grand bargain is that you make less money early in your career so that you can make more money later in your career. He's talking about free agency here, of course. Teams that have shown that they're not willing to pay for players' past production for a whole slew of reasons. That's true. And if that's the case, that's the case. But if we're going to look at players that way, then we need to then allocate more money to players earlier in their career. couple things with that. That's somewhat problematic. One, it's almost as if he's already saying, all right, well, I guess it's not going to happen for the veteran guys to finally get their payday. So we we're, we really are going to let the owners have what they want. The players want a larger piece of, of the pie. And I think it makes sense. And, and, and they deserve that larger piece of the pie because they've had a bigger piece and it shrunk over the last CBA. The owners say, hey, look, we'll give you the same piece. You just figure out how you want to split it up. We don't care. We'll pay the younger guys and not the older guys. And that's, I don't, I don't like that system partially because look, the system that we have now is the one that we know. And I would think, I would tend to think that the owners, if they are in favor of paying the younger guys, this is not going to work out well for the players association. I trust that the owners can see into the future a lot more so than the players. And even if the owners can't see into the future, I think they can ensure that they don't come out on the losing end. I'll leave it that way. We also don't know what it would look like for these younger players to get paid earlier. Just because they get paid more doesn't mean it's still equitable. They could turn around and pay the younger players more. That obviously means increasing the minimum salary to a million or more. It means starting arbitration in the second year. It might even mean starting a player's service time clock once they get placed on the 40-man roster. And at that point, they're getting maybe paid half a million dollars, even if they're still in the minors. So they're, they're getting paid more. Even if the owners were to allow for something like that, that only means they are going to pay even less on the back end for the veterans. I don't want to say the owners have all the cards, but I think they can see they can see a lot. They know a lot. After the last CBA and the way it was handled by the Players Association and their leadership, I don't want to say I don't have confidence in them, but the league and the owners, their job is to stay one step ahead. And so Scherzer are saying, yeah, I guess we've already lost this one. Let's at least get the younger players paid. Don't like that look. And I also don't like the idea of the younger players 
getting a lot more than they are currently getting. I think they certainly deserve to get paid more. I think when you consider the average lifespan of a professional baseball player, it is incredibly short. It's incredibly short. Even if you look at a guy, I think a good example would be someone like a Pat Vileka, who you look and say, well, he's actually been around for you know close to five seasons in the major leagues. Well, he's been up and down from the majors to the minors. He's had his options back and forth, parts of six seasons, but again, not six full seasons. Just recently went to arbitration and still only made $875,000 this last year with the Orioles. And now he's a free agent again, and he's probably going to have to sign a minor league deal with somebody once the lockout ends. He's considered a major league free agent, not a minor league free agent. So he would not be eligible to sign with any team right now at this point. But he's not made a lot of money in his career. And going into his age 29 season, he might not have a ton left. So paying these younger guys, I think, is very fair. But that can be a slippery slope where not the young guys are getting all of the money. No, it just means the owners are going to be paying these young guys still at an undervalued price. These young players are worth so much money, not just because they're good and talented, but because they're also making so much less than they would on the free market. And that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about right now between the owners and the players. It's day 35 of the lockout. Do we get to day 70? Do we double it? I don't know. I hope to hell not. Thanks to everyone who gave us some wonderful feedback on the broadcasters roundtable. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Go ahead and listen to that if you haven't already. It's a real easy, free-flowing conversation. A lot of honesty, a lot of openness about the careers of Mike Rice, Kyle Kirchival, Drew Goodman, who you already know, to share some interesting tidbits from his career as well as advice. The advice piece, again, is so huge from, let's face it, sports media can be a little bit cutthroat at times. And so for these guys to share and have been through as much as they've been to give you that advice, it's advice that's going to help you no matter what field you're in. Because at no point did they say, yeah, you also have to be cutthroat. No. Just says, look, you're going to take your lumps. There's going to be a roadblock, and you may just have to change your direction just a little bit. Make good, positive connections with people. It, it was one of my favorite things that I've been lucky enough to be able to do here at DNVR Sports. And I, I'm looking forward to do the next roundtable. If you've got any ideas for th- some things, please go ahead, throw those out. Patrick at the DNVR.com if you want to email me. You know I'm on Twitter, at Patrick D. Lyons. On Twitter, at DNVR underscore Rockies for all the coverage of the Colorado Rockies, MLB lockout, baseball cards. Hey, you name it. Whatever you're interested in, I'm interested in, and I want to hear from you. So thanks again for listening to the DNVR Rockies podcast. For DNVR Sports, I'm Patrick Lyons. Thanks again.